Welcome to the Wanda Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I interview Xavier Hima, who is a Canadian who biked from his city in Canada all the way down to southern Patagonia. Crazy trip, many months, many hardships, many challenges, and he overcame them all to get down to southern Argentina. Quite an adventure. You'll love to hear all about the details. He gives a lot of practical advice of what he would have done differently, what kind of things that you need to do to prepare for such a crazy bike ride trip. So prepared to get a very sore butt on this trip, just talking about it. Lastly, I want to draw attention to healthaccesszumbawa.org, and I also want to thank all my Patreons, support, supporters at patreon.com slash ftapon. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon, and today I'm here with Javier Hima, uh, or Xavier, if you want to say Xavier, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and you have a website. Uh, the website is called Follow the Hum of the Earth, and my YouTube channel is called Hum of the Earth. Now, why Hum of the Earth? The, there was kind of, uh, at the time I was making uh, kind of the channel and everything, um, I was kind of researching and learning more about the kind of the vibrations of the earth and, and how uh, a lot of things are if not everything is kind of interacting with each other through like uh, uh, kind of a kind of pulsating waves um, is this like a spiritual wave or is this a what kind of wave is I think it's been proven by science like, uh, okay. in some ways or another that you know animals and stuff like that communicate through uh, uh, kind of certain vibrations and, and frequencies and stuff like that, and that you know maybe even more things do uh, that that we're not quite aware of. But also, it's it's just a name that it, it can kind of um, mean whatever you want it to. Uh, you know, once you start watching the the videos and stuff. All right now, you took a fucking amazing trek from the Canada-U.S. border near Ottawa, and then you hauled your little bike all the way down through South America, and you finished at what point exactly? Uh, El, <clears throat> excuse me, El Calafate in Argentina, which is uh, pretty south, uh, kind of the last, uh, one of the last bigger towns in the southern part of Patagonia. So in, in this part of the world, there's humongous uh, glaciers. I think I, I went to see uh, El Perito Moreno, which is, I believe, the third biggest uh, glacier in the world. Uh, so it was getting kind of chilly down there. Yeah, I bet. Uh, what time of what month were you in there? Were you in there in uh, their winter? I guess it was it like um, it was actually um, kind of in their fall. It was beginning to uh, become uh, the the winter, okay. uh, but I had tried to time it so I could be there in a, a decent time, so I so I could actually bicycle through there with my current uh, setup, which isn't really a winter setup. Yeah, I was watching one of your YouTube videos and I saw that some Americans, I think somewhere in maybe it was Peru, just gave you one of their poncho tarps because you were freezing your ass off going over a pass. Tell us that story. Go ahead. Well, before my uh, trip, my my dad was actually gave me this uh, really nice rain jacket, which was like kind of protects you from the rain in some places and some places lets you breathe. Uh, but I guess throughout the travel, maybe because of the sun or, or whatever, um, and it just kind of stopped working and it, and it kind of, kind of a gradual thing. But that day I was over 4,000 meters, uh, 
So pretty high elevation in Peru. Uh, it was pretty cold. And it's 4,000 meters for people. It's roughly around 14,000 feet, I think, roughly, base, maybe 13. I can't remember. Anyway, it's between 12 and 15,000 feet. It's uh, high. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was quite cold there. Uh, and it started raining. So I put on my jacket. And at that point, just the rain was just going fully through it. Um, so I was really, really cold. Um, I had made it to this town and I was asking around if there's anywhere I could stay and there didn't seem to be anything. So I was, what time of day was this? Um, it was kind of late afternoon. Okay. So I was just about like, uh, going to start like going to random houses and knocking on doors and just, you know, asking for refuge. But before, uh, it got to that, um, this couple pulled over and they said, are you okay? And I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I'm hypothermic. Almost, I think I was almost. Yeah, of course. You were shivering, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, big time. That's the first stage of hypothermia. Yeah, so I guess it was starting. Um, and they brought me in the car, and um, they gave me some, some fresh clothes temporarily so I could like try to dry my clothes. Well, I had other clothes, too, uh, that I could use. You must have looked completely pathetic for somebody to stop and say, hey, are you doing all right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm... Sh- <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I had like sunscreen all over my face too, so I, I, I looked. It didn't make sense because it was raining. And it's snowing outside. <laughs> so yeah, I like, looked, what is this dude? <laughs> I looked pretty pretty odd and and uh, down on my luck. Uh, but they they had some food and uh, a warm car, and uh, I warmed up, so I wasn't shivering anymore. Got some fresh clothes on, and then it had totally cleared. It was sunny, and then I uh, kept going and managed to make it to my uh, destination. Only slightly after dark, so not too bad. And that destination was a campsite, or were you actually going to stay in a hostel or something? Uh, that time it was just like a, a cheap hotel um, okay. in, in like Peru, Bolivia, and even uh, which are kind of some of the cheaper countries I've, I've been through. Uh, hotels are like five to like seven dollars US per night, so uh, so that's usually worth it. Right, and so you went to that hotel and the place where you were shivering and getting into the early stages of the hypothermia, you decided uh, there was no hotel there, I guess. That's why you're thinking about knocking on strangers' houses? Yeah. Got it. So Because it was a remote village, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Just some kind it, of houses on the side of the, the road. Right. Right. And, and just by chance that you ran into these Americans who are also driving through I was actually a French-Argentine couple, and they had a um, bicycle toured before, so I guess they had they had some sympathy for my, my situation. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I remember I was driving through Sudan, and I saw this guy, and it was hot as fuck. It was so hot outside. And I see this lone biker on this flat, lonely road, and I'm like, only some crazy European or American would be doing this. And of course, you know, I pull aside and some German guy and he's just like, I said, hey, do you want some water? Because <laughs> you're in the middle of the Sudan desert. And you're like, it's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. But it's like a fellow traveler looks at another traveler and says, you know what? I kind of know where this guy is coming from. <laughs> he's got to be in in a low state. So there's there's that great, uh, what we call in the trail world, we call that trail magic, you know, just the, the random act of kindness from somebody. So how many days, Xavier, did you actually spend out uh, from the time you left Canada to the time you got to the southern part of Patagonia in Argentina? Uh, it was about a year and a half, maybe a little bit less. Right. So 18 months. Now, of those days, of that 500-something days, what percentage of those days did you spend sleeping outside? 
Because you did have a tent, correct? Yeah, it was probably um, around 20%. Uh, again, okay. just because it was worth it for me. Also, because I, I make videos and stuff like that. Um, mm. To be able yeah, to, to, re- to find somewhere to um, to make them after I'm done cycling. And again, it was like from 5 to $10 pretty much throughout Latin America. Um, right. So whenever it was in that price range, I would usually uh, get a, a hotel room. And it, it usually was. I'm... The, the places where I, I did camp were the U.S. and um, Chile and Argentina because uh, those were pretty much the most expensive uh, countries that on, on the trip. Okay. And what made you decide to stop in southern Patagonia? Was it mainly just the weather? Because so many people might look at a map and just have this kind of purist attitude and say, okay, I want to go from the northernmost point, you know, whatever, I guess in your case, you would say the border of U.S., Canada, all the way down to Tierra del Fuego, you know, Ushuaia, whatever, um, the southernmost point of the South American continent. So what made you stop a bit short? Because for you at that point, just is probably in just another f- a week or so to get down to that point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, it was uh, early April, and from what I had researched and been told, um, going further south, well, at this time of the year, it would start to rain more and more and obviously and get snow. colder because it's the beginning mm-hmm. of, the, of the winter and mm-hmm. the winds get really, really intense the, fur- the further you go down. And also the environment uh, doesn't change as much. It isn't as, as scenic as I was mm-hmm. uh, previously just kind of in the part of Patagonia where there's uh, like the Andes running through it. Um, and also it's, uh, because it's so far South and isolated, everything is very expensive. So all the food is, um, twice as expensive and, um, national parks are really expensive as well. And if you want accommodations, they're like three times, uh, the normal price. Uh, so just all those factors just kind of, uh, made me decide otherwise because i'm i'm a fairly frugal person so when you're traveling long term you kind of have to pick your shots you know you can't do everything part of me wanted to do it but uh you know the weather and the price of it and just kind of yeah yeah for those who haven't done much uh traveling i mean the 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 Going in wet rain, cold rain, is far more dangerous than going into snow. As long as it's not like minus 40 snow, but basically, actually at that temperature, once it gets to be minus 20, it usually doesn't snow. (laughs) Actually, I'm I'm telling this to a Canadian. What the hell? You guys know this better than anybody. But the point is is that um, cold rain, you should know this, right? I mean, it's just cold rain is just a killer it really can sap your energy and and is positively dangerous so i can understand that when you got to that southern point in patagonia you're like okay i don't want to go further because i'm just going to be endangering myself i'm going to be spending more money and in the end like i say hike your own hike you have to you know pick pick your own thing but when you had originally envisioned this trip and this is kind of another question how close did you approximate what you more or less envisioned? Did you, when you set out of Canada, did you think I'm just going to go to the border of the United States? Did you say I'm going to go to the end of Mexico, or did you say I'm going to go to the Tierra del Fuego? Um, <clears throat> well, I had um, I had heard and and of Patagonia and seen some pictures and videos and stuff like that, so I knew I wanted to go there. Um, but it was never really like. 
in my mind, like I was going to go like, you know, to, to the end of the world just for, for saying I, I've done it. I mean, I understand the appeal of doing that, but I guess I'm just not like that myself, really. Um, it was just more for the adventure of just learning and meeting new people and seeing, you know, new parts of the world and, um, and just having fun and enjoying the trip, which which I did. Um, so, yeah, Patagonia was was an amazing uh, finish for me. Xavier, if you had to do this all over again and you were advising somebody who's listening to this to, who wants to more or less reproduce your route and take a bike down the Americas, what would you say, this is where I fucked up, this is my mistakes, this is what I would do differently? Hmm. Well, this wasn't a mistake for me, <laughs> but I think it could potentially be a mistake for other people. Um, so this was my first uh, bicycle tour. And I'd never done any bicycle tours, like not even for a weekend before going on this trip. <laughs> I was just for some reason like super confident that um, uh, I was, you know, going to love it. And I did end up loving it. But the first like week was really hard. Like in my mind, um, I don't know what I was thinking or I wasn't thinking, but I was doing like 30 kilometers at first every day. And I thought that was a lot. Which is 20 miles, which is like something I would walk. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that, that's the, yeah, the kind of Through mileage. Through the mountains. Yeah, the third, that's the kind of mileage I was doing when I was started. And I thought that was a lot. And then one of the first nights, I looked on my Google Maps because I had left later than I wanted to. Because uh, I was actually planning originally to do a car trip. And then I changed last minute to a bike trip. So I ended up pushing it back a few weeks. So it was now in October uh, in northern U.S. So it was, you know... Uh, I had to think about, you know, the winter and be ahead of it and stuff like that. So I was looking at the map and how many kilometers I had to do before like January, which is when I wanted to be in Mexico. And I realized that I wasn't even like doing half or not even close to half what I was supposed to do every day. And I had a bit of anxiety there. I was like, oh my God. And my butt, your butt is really sore the first few days too. Oh yeah. So, but I just kind of tweaked my mentality a little bit and uh, I ended up doing more and more every day, just kind of pushing myself. Uh, and then, you know, I was in probably, you know, and not that long, I was doing close to, you know, 100 kilometers. And then at the end of the trip, you know, I can do like 165, I think I did once. Um, Which is 100 miles. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so I guess my advice would be, um, Maybe try it out like a few times if you can do like two weeks and just know that those first few days are going to be kind of the hardest ones. But once you kind of get used to it and you enjoy certain aspects of it that you think you you can enjoy on a long term, uh, then those kind of pains in, in the, the first few days mentally and physically, uh, you know, you, you get over it. Uh, and then I think, you know, after that, I just kept on loving it more and more as I uh, progressed to the, through uh, the trip. What did you learn about the different cultures that you ran into in Latin America? Did you find like, you know, there's a tendency in, in the United States or probably North America in general, probably Canada too, that, you know, Latin Americans are the same, more or less, you know, tend tendency that we have to generalize. So how did you say, whoa, you know, the Bolivians are completely different than the Peruvians or whatever. And it's hard to tell, of course, because you're just biking through and it's not like you spend a ton of time with each in each place you're staying, I imagine. You got to keep moving. But any impressions regarding the cultural differences that kind of hit you hard? And you're like, oh, my God. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think my first uh, big culture shock was going from the U.S. to Mexico uh, because there is, you know, a a decent amount of similarities between countries within Latin America. Uh, They they do kind of have, you know, some cultural things that that they share uh, with each other. Um, But looking back on it, Mexico, even though it was the most shocking at the time, is probably the most... um, the, the country that's the closest to the U.S., uh, especially when you're you're in cities and, and stuff like that culturally, I find. Um, and then some countries like um, that are more uh, indigenous, uh, like Bolivia, and they, they will have uh, really different um, kind of cultural uh, and religious traditions, uh, such as like kind of worshiping, uh, you know, Mother Nature. And there's all kinds of rituals that are associated with that, uh, like even like sacrifices that you give to, <laughs> you know, to this day to to uh, Mother Nature for for you know doing well on ex- an exam or uh, building a new house or or some kind of business project and and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> Argentina is like kind of the European country, and Chile as well a little bit. Or I guess both of them are kind of like the uh, the European countries of. Of South America, like I was kind of in shock when I, I got into um, well past the northwest part of Argentina, which is like Bolivia. But when I got into like the real Argentina, like the first city, like people are kissing on the cheek. Uh, they eat all their meals several hours later than everyone else. Uh, <laughs> they eat a small breakfast with only croissants. Uh, all of a sudden, everybody's smoking cigarettes, which is very rare in in Latin America. And it's just kind of you know you feel like you're you're in Europe all of a sudden. Uh, so, so there is some changes. Yeah, no, I imagine it's it's pretty dramatic. Some of the things that you 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 saw as, as far as changes, and and what about dealing with uh, currencies and that kind of stuff? Was there any problem that way, or was it pretty straightforward? You just got to the border and changed currencies. Um, yeah, I mean, once you've done it once or twice, you kind of get a uh, a routine to kind of make sure you're not getting um, ripped off. Um, so basically, whatever money you have left. Uh, the, the night before crossing over, uh, you'd want to look at uh, the currency exchange rate and then calculate how much that should be for whatever money you have left. And then that you would typically change, exchange at the border. Um, maybe do the math on your phone as well just to make sure that because I've heard of you know calculators that are kind of rigged uh, sometimes. So they can uh, rip you off at, at the border sometimes. It, it ne- I don't think it really happened to me. I think I did get ripped off once, but... Um, it was my fault. I'd, I didn't really like count it after he gave it to me. Uh, so after that, you know, I'd, I'd always uh, uh, count it. And then after that, uh, once you exchange whatever kind of small amount of money you've had uh, at the border, uh, then you'd want to um, look out, look look up which ATMs have uh, little to no uh, fees for for foreigners because some of them can be quite expensive. Uh, so that can save you a lot of money, just that habit of researching uh, which ATMs are, are best. Yeah, that's good uh, advice. I was watching some of your videos on YouTube and I was like shitting in my pants sometimes because I was I got sweaty palms just looking at you sometimes because you were on these highways, these roads, and and there you are on your little bicycle and these big trucks are driving right by you and 
just, you know, zooming by and it's raining and whatever. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, my God, you're just like one meter away from death all yeah. the time <laughs> for the entire trip. <laughs> yeah, like, like a million times. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A million times of brushes with death every single time. And, and it's not a joke because there's a lot of bikers who die doing what you've done. And where did you have any close calls? Did you any have ever a situation where you're like, you know what? This is a little bit too risky. You know, surprisingly, um, like at first I was, I was really kind of scared. I was just not used to uh, having cars just be that close uh, on, on roads. When I started going on roads that didn't have a shoulder, so an area that's uh, kind of out of the lane for the bicycle. Um, <laughs> right. So then when I was in the same lane as cars, I was getting scared. I would go like off the road and stuff like that. But then I realized I can't be going off the road every time a car comes, you know? <laughs> right. You could make it even more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you'll end up getting a flat and fall and, you know, who knows? Maybe not a flat, but you just hit a little pebble and that, that tweaks your wheel. And then all of a sudden you fall and you fall right in front of the car. And it's not even the car's fault. It's your fault. But anyway... Yeah, it's it's scary. Yeah, but um, actually, throughout the trip, like the tri- the drivers have been like super courteous, um, always like giving room if they have something to give. I mean, I say always. I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Like, I was really surprised with with the drivers, even in countries where um, even the locals all the time would tell me, "Oh, be careful! The drivers are crazy here." And then you know sometimes there was some drivers that you know don't give a lot of space and they don't slow down when they're moving. But for the most part, uh, drivers have been really good. Um, I only had one close call, and it was a very close call. Um, I was going up a hill in Mexico towards Morelia, and at the top of the hill there was a. a Where's Morelia? Is that northern Mexico or southern Mexico? Southern Mexico. Okay. Near Chiapas. Yeah, it's in. Uh, yeah, it's in Chiapas. Um, and or was it the you're going up the hill, or was it the province before Chiapas? Anyway, it's you're in going up Mexico, a hill. Yeah, <laughs> I was going up the hill, and then um, this big black dog just comes running straight towards me, which is uh, fairly common. Uh, and then I just, without thinking, I just kind of swerved a little bit into the lane, and because it was a hill, there was a car coming that for some reason I don't know, I didn't hear him, and he didn't see me. And then he kind of clipped the front of my bicycle, and I kind of went tumbling off. Wait, sorry. He was coming behind you? Yeah. Okay. So he was coming behind you, and you swerved into his lane. and, and Well, and, uh, more into the middle of the lane, you know. And right, he tried right, to avoid course. me, but he still clipped me a little bit. Um, right. And I fell off. Um, so that was, you know, a really close call. And then since then, I just... That, that specific error of moving in because I'm scared of the dog, I don't do anymore. Uh, mm. Really, the safe thing if you're in a situation where there's a, a dog encounter, which happens a lot when you're bicycling, something about you know your your legs going like this, uh, they they think you're running away from them, and it kind of triggers their I don't know their animal predator instinct or whatever <laughs> to chase you. Yeah. Um, so it happens a lot. Uh, so if you're going downhill or you're flat and you're already really going fast, then I would usually just keep going, just bicycle really fast, and usually uh, they won't catch up to you. But if you're going uphill, like at this situation, or if you don't have a lot of speed and it's flat, I would actually just uh, kind of stop the bike, make sure that, you know, you're, uh, you have enough room and you're safe. And then I would just bend over for a rock. And that was usually enough to scare them. I don't even have to pick up a rock or throw it uh, just Mm -hmm. because I think it seems in Latin America, 
or maybe they been um, <laughs> evolved to be scared of people <laughs> grabbing for rocks or something. Uh, that, that's usually enough to to scare them away. So uh, that that was a, a tough lesson, but it, it could have been uh, could have been worse. Yeah, it definitely could have been worth. That's amazing. And one of the things also, I've you know, I love the outdoors, I, I, and I always encourage people to go. However, the, you know, whether they're going on foot, on a bike, or even in a car, it it it's just great to get outside. At the same time, I've never found the appeal of doing a bike ride like you've done because of the safety issues, number one. And number two, I thought, well, you know, what is the biker going to see that I can't see from a car or a bus or any other mode of, you know, safer mode of transport that, and yes, you save money, but the other hand, you're spending like an extra probably $10 a day just on food because you have to, you know, fill up those calories that you burnt. So, you know, if I'm sitting my ass on a bus taking it, you know, I'm not eating as much. I'm, I'm probably eating far less calories, probably half the amount of calories that you're consuming by biking your, those same uh, kilometers. So so it doesn't really make a whole lot of financial sense, it seems to me. Um, I could always carry a, a tent in, my, in the bus and then just camp, you know, I've done that. And and, and I'm seeing more or less the same scenery. I have the advantage on a bus I can read if I need to read or whatever. Um, I'm protected from the elements. So what would you say, you know, was the appeal for you? Um, well, I'd already was enjoying uh, cycling, but uh, only for like an hour at a time just for exercise. Um, as well as in a car, like when you're driving, because I was originally thinking of doing it with a car, not with uh, buses, just because I, I like the, the freedom aspect of it, just being able to go wherever you want, whenever you want. You don't have to wait in a bus. or uh, And also I find in buses sometimes in, in Latin America, because I, I usually like to be like in the Andes, like because that's where it's the most beautiful for me. Um, so when you're on those mountain roads, I mean, you, I get pretty nauseous on, on buses and, and stuff like that if I'm not the one in control. Um so yeah, and the bicycling, I just, I love cycling and I feel good when I'm exercising. Um, and you can, you know, like you said, with a, a tent, you, you can go off-road uh, and, and with a bicycle, you can as well to, to go to some more remote wild camping spots uh, that if you had, had a car, you, you couldn't do that. Um, not as much. And yeah, I mean, you just, you smell stuff, you hear stuff, you're going slower, so you, you do see more things, even though you're taking the same road in a car or a bus, it goes by a lot faster. Uh, so you definitely miss stuff. And yeah, and it just feel good doing the exercise. So I'm just in a better mood most of the time. Right. I mean, it is more meditative in that sense. You get to sit back. Oh, what were some of the takeaways that you've learned? And has this inspired you to take other journeys? Well, I mean, you know, when you're bicycle touring, a lot of the times there'll be unexpected kind of challenges, uh, either bicycle problems or, uh, you know, a road closure or uh, really bad weather or something like that. Uh, but you eventually realize that, you know, the second you calm down and, and get over whatever obstacle uh, is presented to you, that you can always find a solution. Um, and so that's kind of giving me confidence for in the future, you know, doing uh, adventures that might even be a little bit more challenging because I mean if, if I was able to do f from Canada to, to Patagonia on a bicycle 
uh, I can probably do some more, uh, even more adventurous stuff, uh, which I, I think I will be doing in the future. And yeah, and I've learned that I really love bicycle touring. I mean, I can't even see myself traveling uh, any other way. Um, the times where I did have to take a bus and stuff like that, I, I didn't nearly enjoy it as much as uh, bicycling. So I, I guess I've learned that. Speaking about more challenging things, I looked at the map and you decided to skip, it seems like, the Dar the Darien Gap, the infamous Darien Gap. For those who don't know, that is actually not a gap. <laughs> it's a gap in the highway, but it's a connected part in the southern part of Pan Panama going into Colombia. And forever, it's been, it has no part of the international highway that goes through all the Americas. It's the only place, it's the only gap from in, in, in the Americas. It's the only place where you have to basically go on foot. But I think you could go on a bicycle if you had a, certainly a mountain bike. You could probably make it. Yeah. Um, it, in theory, it is possible to do with a mountain bike, which I did not have. I had more of a road bicycle uh, myself. Right. Um, but that route is a very common uh, drug trafficking route. Right. Uh, and because there's no police or anything, because it's it's kind of a no man's land. Uh, there's also, you know, like guerrilla groups and, um, you know, kind of some dangerous people uh, kind of reside in that area. Uh, so and it's very mountainous. And um, I mean, you might find some some tracks, but there's no like roads like on your GPS, I think uh, that would guide you, um, you know, with uh uh, some kind of assurance that you're going the right way, you know, so uh, there's, there's a lot of question marks. It's definitely um, for for the most adventurous uh, traveler. And even at that, it might not be a good idea, even if you're uh, uh, a real expert in this kind of, um, uh, you know, traveling through through jungles and stuff like that, it could still be uh, a bad idea. So uh, I took the, the cheapest option, which was uh, taking a flight from Panama City to Cartagena. Yeah, since I was about 26, I, I was fascinated with the Darien Gap. And I even in the 1970s, there were some lunatics slash idiots who were walking, you know, writing books about crossing the Darien Gap. And it has been forever a sketchy zone. I don't know, forever, but be, <laughs> for as long as recorded history of being this uh, uh, very sketchy, dangerous thing. But because of that, it totally fascinates me. It's like this last place where there is no official highway. At the same time, I gotta believe that in that gap, it's there is a very well marked trail because there is so much trafficking. Uh, there's got to be, you know, a thoroughfare that kind of goes through it, if not more than one. There's probably like multiple ways to go through it, but there's probably like the main road that everybody likes to take on foot or by bicycle or whatever they're doing, or maybe they have some sort of crazy ATV. It could probably uh, do it as well. Um, Obviously, you couldn't do it because you had, like you said, a road bike. And so it just that's going to if you did another adventure, would you maybe take a mountain bike and go a little bit more off trail and do some more um, dirt roads and muddy roads and that kind of stuff? Because I remember some people do that crazy trips that that purposefully avoid all the good roads and take shit roads the whole way. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely um, appealing to me. And it's probably something I'll, I'll do in the future. Um and again, it, it comes with just, you know, the more experience you have, um, 
the more you're ready for more adventurous stuff. And, and usually when you're going on these uh, dirt roads, uh, typically this will be less populated areas because when it's the most populated areas, that's when you'll have the, the paved road. And then when you go on the dirt roads, uh, that's when you're, you're going into uh, the more uh, adventurous uh, areas, which is always uh, fun. Uh, but it does require typically more planning, and sometimes I'm, I'm just uh, too lazy to do that. You have to calculate, okay, how far, how how long do I think am I going to be uh, going this way uh, on this uh, detour or excursion? Uh, how much food do I need? Uh, really look at the map for to see uh, where are the towns or potential places where I might be able to get food, uh, if any. Uh, how much? What am I going to do for water, etc. So it's it requires more planning than uh, than I was typically doing uh, uh, on the trip. Although I did have some areas, long stretches. Um, I'm thinking right now of uh, the Patagonian uh, desert on the Argentinian side. Uh, there was at times several hundred kilometers with absolutely nothing. But thankfully, I knew that was coming. I'd heard of it, so I planned ahead. <laughs> Right, right. No, it's amazing logistics that you had. It's uh, such a, a crazy adventure. Um, do you know how many, how many flat tires you had? I'm going to ask the listeners to say, okay, guess how many flat tires Xavier had. I'm going to guess nine. And and what's the answer? It's a lot more than nine. <laughs> <laughs> God. I think if I ever get a world record, it will be for the most flats on a bicycle tour. <laughs> I think it would be for this trip. <laughs> really so can you take a wild guess then was it 50 or something or crazy i mean is were you getting one every week basically i think it's like 30 to 50 uh i, I so wasn't every, counting. like twice a month yeah yeah i mean it felt, it felt like more than twice a month but there was probably stretches there where you got one almost every day if yeah <laughs> yeah there's stretches where it happens a lot and there's long stretches where you don't get any so right hard to do the math here uh, but right. yeah, 30 to 50, I would say. But I've gotten re- I'm really good at, at changing flats, so that's the, the positive. Did you ever run out of, I mean, I guess you always had tape or whatever it is, you know, like gooey stuff to like patch it, make a patch, right? So even if you didn't have a full-fledged tube, you still had a patch kit. Yeah, but the first time that I got to that situation in Central America where I didn't have any new tubes and I had to start patching... I, I didn't actually know how to patch properly. I thought I was doing correctly, but I wasn't, and it was just not working. So I had some uh, some trying times in, in Central America. But I, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, if you stay calm and you, you think rationally, there's usually a solution. And I eventually uh, made it out of there. And you never had any close calls where people were like either harassing you or taking a gun to your head or doing that kind of stuff or, or catching you when you're camping? Um, I was. I don't think I was ever um, put a gun to my head, but one uh, gentleman on the side of the highway at one point tried to convince me he had a gun. Uh, <laughs> but I, upon further inspection, I deemed that it was <laughs> unlikely to be a pistol, and I just swerved around him and kept going. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so what was he doing? Was he just saying, para, para, para? <laughs> was he saying, stop, stop, stop? I couldn't understand him, but he just kind of got in my way and was yelling angrily at me. And this was in between uh, uh, Cartagena and Santa Marta in a pretty desolate stretch. And then he was just kind of showing me that he had some kind of metal thing in in his belt. Um, Kind of, I guess he wanted me to think it was a pistol, 
But then when I looked at it, I realized it wasn't. So I just I kept going. But if I and that all happened in seconds. Yeah, and if I would have stopped, uh, which some people might have thought to be the safe thing in case it was a pistol, but I think I would have probably gotten beaten up and stolen my bicycle. So. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, no, it's always hard and, you're, and you have a, a split second to make these decisions. That's what makes it so hard. And, and sometimes, usually instincts are pretty good, but sometimes they're not. You know, it's just like, wow. So you don't know what's next in, in, in Xavier's life? Uh, I do. Um, 2020, 2020, what's on the agenda? So, uh, so kind of like I was talking earlier, thinking of, you know, uh, different ad- adventures and, and stuff like that. Um, my next plan is once I'm uh, finished enjoying friends and family here in Canada and I'm ready for the, the next uh, part of the journey, I will be flying to uh, South Africa and going uh, through Africa northward, uh, mostly in kind of the eastern uh, part of the country, uh, continent. Wow. And do you think you'll get all the way up to Cairo? Um, yes, I have... Um, there's t- kind of two options I- in my head right now of how I will exit Africa. Um, I wanted to do like uh, Cape Town to Cairo, and then I believe you'd go through like Israel, but then there's kind of Syria there, <laughs> kind of in in the way. So um, I'll have to do some some research and uh, see how that would be. I-, I know you did some some traveling in in, in Africa uh, quite a bit. Uh, did. Have you been uh, north of Africa uh, fairly recently or? No, I never left the African continent for those five and a half years I was traveling. So I did go into the Sinai Peninsula, but I didn't go to, you know, Israel or any of that kind of stuff. So uh, it's, you know, the situation is very fluid. And I think Syria is probably by the time you go, let's say in the 2020s, I think it will be probably more uh, safe. You know, maybe Israel will be a war zone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or or Lebanon will be in the shit. You know, it's like you'd never know there in the Middle East. But uh, one thing I have learned in all my travels and traveling to all the countries in Africa, I, things are always more scary than it seems. A lot of people, and you probably learned that in your travels too. You're like, oh, you're going to Colombia, man. Colombia is very dangerous. And you're like, no, it's not. It's not that bad, except for that one guy on the road in Colombia. That, well, I think he <laughs> was probably um, Venezuelan. Because I was seeing okay. a lot of Venezuelan people, not saying that Venezuelans are bad or anything. Uh, I just sure. mean that you know the, their uh, economy is kind of in a bad situation. So sure. you, you would see a lot of them go from one city to another uh, from unsuccessful um, job at, uh, attempts or attempts at finding a job. Uh, so they were probably in a bad situation, and you know he saw me as uh, a chance to you know eat. <laughs> yeah, no, I I completely understand. Um, yeah, so what was the, that's one exit option from Africa is, is going through Israel. Um, what was the, you could just end at Jerusalem. That's kind of poetic. I mean, Jerusalem is a, is a meeting of three religions. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I would, I would definitely go there. Um, and the other thing I was thinking of if, uh, Syria was, was too dangerous upon my research. So obviously I'm going to look at reevaluate the situation in like however many months. Uh, the other option was, um, when I get to Ethiopia, uh, going eastwards towards the the coast, I think to Somaliland, and then taking a boat to Oman, uh, going through Oman, which I hear is pretty beautiful, and then taking another boat into Iran. 
I had no idea how much that costs, um, but I did right. see someone uh, on the internet um, using that option and really liking it. Uh, so yeah, I will evaluate the two, I think, probably further in the, the future. You could also go to one of the hottest countries on earth. It's called Djibouti, and it's right off of uh, Ethiopia right there as well. The nice thing, uh, but it's super crazy hot every day of the year, except for December. It's it's still crazy hot in December, but it's at least a little bit tolerable. But uh, that would be another elegant exit as well. And um, the Ethiopian route, uh, yeah, there's there's I've never been to Oman, so I, I really don't know. But yeah, I'm sure it's 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 beautiful too. Sounds like you've got a great trip. So if people want to follow your journey, uh, where do they go? Um, so I think. Most people these days uh, like a plain and simple YouTube uh, for, for viewing as opposed to websites. Uh, so my YouTube channel is called Hum of the Earth. So that's Rin H-U-M of the Earth. Uh, so there I have videos of going from one place to another, uh, kind of uh, documenting the, the journey, the different challenges. Uh, so you can kind of ride along with me from the, the comfort of your couch and I have other videos that are more specific uh, of like a city or a, a mountain uh, that I either cl- hiked up or, um, or you know, some national park or, or, some, or maybe an archaeological site and, and stuff like that. So different things that I, I saw along the journey. So kind of like taking you along with me uh, if you're interested. Uh, so that's my... And the website is humoftheearth.com? The website is followthehumoftheearth.com. Uh, Follow. Yeah. Follow the hum of the yeah. earth. Okay. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. And, and so that people are listening to this on their podcast player, they'll be able to link and go to that. Yeah. And on the website, there's a, a map too. So so that uh, can also be interesting. You can kind of click on the different places and see the videos and the, the blog posts I made of, of those places. That's right. Yeah. So if you look at and you say, oh, I've always wanted to go to Guatemala, then you go to your Guatemala thing and click on Guatemala and watch some videos from Guatemala. And your blog post. Yeah. Great. Xavier, best of luck. Stay safe. Stay in the bike lane. Yeah. <laughs> if there is one. If there is one. There usually isn't, but uh, I think I know what you mean. It's in spirit. It's the spirit, the thought that counts. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel technology and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember F Tapon. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, F Tapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the WanderLearn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.